0: Welcome to ERM Perspectives, the show dedicated to credit union enterprise risk management. If you're interested in hearing perspectives on enterprise risk management directly from the people who do ERM at credit unions, you've got the best seat in the house. I work with credit unions every day so they can have their ideal enterprise risk management program. I'm your host, David Seibert. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of ERM Perspectives the podcast dedicated to credit union enterprise risk management. And I'm your host, David Seibert. Today, I'm excited to have John Collins on the show to talk about his ERM program. And John is the Senior Vice President and Chief Risk Officer of Aloya Corporate Federal Credit Union. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to uh, be on the show. I really appreciate it. So let's get to know you a little bit better, John. So why don't you tell us about your current role and your background and what's led up to you being in this role?
1: That'd be great. Sure. As you noted, I'm the senior vice president, chief risk officer at Aloya, and I've been with a corporate for going on 21 years now. So I've been around there for a while and I actually spent about 15 years with the natural person credit unions before that. So I, I am in fact, a credit union lifer. I had spent my entire career in credit unions, which has been great. Believe it or not, I started as a teller a really long time ago. Some was teller, but did manage to get through that and, and worked my way up to become a CFO of a pretty good sized natural person credit union and worked through a number of positions. I, I think I've had the chance to sit in just about every seat in a credit union. It's a great learning opportunity. So fun stuff there. When I got to the corporate world, I held a bunch of different risk positions along, or I'm a bunch of different executive positions along the way. Um, and about 10 years ago, there was some new regulation passed that mandated that corporates have an enterprise risk function. And I was given the opportunity to lead that and have it look back. It's been a, it's been a great experience. I really enjoyed it. So that's how I got into the risk management world.
0: That is a really awesome view of your experience and starting in credit unions and so much time in credit unions. And I've worked with credit unions and risk managers at credit unions who have started as tellers as well. And I think that's just a great place to start because you just know the credit union top to bottom. So that's great. And I think you've been with a lawyer. The ERM program's been around for about 10 years. And that's about, I've been in ERM with credit unions for about 12 years, but I'm a lifer as a credit union person because I've always been a member of a credit union. So I'm going to claim that as a victory too. It's not quite as much as your 15 years at a natural person credit union, but that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the ERM program itself. I'm sure the listeners want to know about the program. So, things like how long has it been in place, and how you're staffed, and if there's anything interesting or unique about the program, that'd be great if you could share those
1: things. Sure, be happy to. We've had a program in place, an official sort of formal program, for about 10 years. Of course, just like all financial institutions, risk management has always been a key part of the organization. So. Really, it was about formalizing and bringing together things that the organization had been doing for a while and continue to evolve. Um, so as I said, it started about 10 years ago is when we formalized the risk management uh, practices and programs uh, at Aloya. And we started pretty small. We wanted to really understand it and take a small bite and, and get our arms around it. So it was really focused using the existing risk management and uh, credit staff who were focused in those areas in risk management and were separate from the operational areas. We started small with those areas and expanded from there. We developed what I called version 1.0 and and ran that up the flagpole. But we continue to research the program, look at it, push ourselves and evolve it. The organization, any organization, is not going to stay static. And as a consequence, the risks aren't going to stay static. So your program can't stay static either. You need to continue to evolve it. All the risk management professionals I interact with pretty much say the same thing. The programs continue to evolve as you understand your risks better, as the world around you changes better, as your staffing opportunities change. So all those things come into play. There's not a, there's not one playbook, if you will, you have to adapt it to your organization.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that's absolutely true. It definitely does adjust over time. Are you following any kind of framework at the credit union? Do you have a we are.
1: It's a great question. That was one of the first decisions we made early on. For those of us who live in this world, there are two predominant frameworks out there. The International Standards Organization, or ISO, and the NCOSO, the Committee on Sponsoring Organizations, really are the two sort of big organizations that produce frameworks that you can follow. And I use the term framework advisedly because it isn't like GAAP where you have specific rules. It's more um, a set of concepts that you follow. We chose the COSO one and it served us well for the first several years. And uh, it was updated, I think, about three years ago. So we evaluated and adopted the newest version of the COSO framework, which we find to be very helpful. It really gives structure to your program and lends a lot of credence to what you're doing and helps make sure it's logically consistent. Otherwise, the discussions can get pretty far ranging and can get off off into the gray areas of the map pretty quick. So I highly recommend if someone hasn't dug into looking at one of those frameworks to do so. It's, I think, a really helpful tool.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about COSO and how you use it, because I know there's varying degrees of how much you can adhere or use it. And some credit unions will use it more as an internal reference for the program itself, and others will use it as a an external reference for the rest of the credit union to say, hey, this is our framework. Do you tend one way or the other or equal balance or how are you using the framework?
1: We use the framework both ways, but it starts predominantly with helping us, for lack of a better term, organize the program. We have a whole lot of different tools and processes we use and within the COSO framework is your principles, Um, that they lay out that they'd like you to cover and we actually go through an exercise each year that we present to our board enterprise risk management committee where we show how the various things we do align with the different principles of the COSO model that works both ways it helps make sure we're doing things that do align with the model Um, it also makes sure that we're not doing things that don't that you have something that doesn't fit in one of those boxes so like tell me again why we're doing this so it's a very useful tool, I think, in that matter. And it's also then very um, useful to communicate both internally and externally what you're doing and how you're doing it and you're aligned with uh, that particular framework. And like I said, what it really creates more than anything else, in my opinion, it creates logical consistency in the program. And that's really important when you're talking to boards, when you're talking to senior managers, when you're talking to virtually anyone. If it passes the SNP test when you're talking about this stuff, it's logically consistent. People can follow it you're a lot more likely to get better buy-in to this because at the end of the day, risk managers don't make it deci- shouldn't, might be making decisions about exactly which risks to take. They should be providing a lot of guidance on what's too much risk, what's too little risk and what a reasonable risk so that the operating managers can make those decisions. So it has to be consumable and this is what helps it do that.
0: That's great. That Thank you so much for that. Describing how you use the framework and that makes a lot of sense. And I really like how you've gone through all the principles, as you said, and really just map out exactly how a lawyer is addressing all of those. And that's really, a, I can see how that'd be helpful, as you said, both internally and externally. So that's, I think that's a great takeaway from this conversation.
1: It's also a useful tool when you're explaining it to people who come in to look, take a look at those things like auditors and regulators. It's a nice <laughs> way to be able to show them how you're, you're conforming. And again, it's an easy way. It's nice shorthand to be able to communicate what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for sharing that too you mentioned you started out small, starting out in the credit space, which is fairly typical. How are you organized now? Has it grown quite a bit?
1: Absolutely. It's grown over the years. And the foundation of how we've staffed ourselves is a function. Sort of is a function of how we've chosen to look at risk. And there's a hundred different ways to do this. But we actually borrowed what's largely in a framework adopted by regulators. It breaks risks into seven different categories, typically, uh, interest rate, credit risk, interest rate risk, credit risk, liquidity risk, operations risk, strategic risk, compliance risk, and reputation risk are sort of the typical standard ones. The models and processes we use, we feel like we can pretty well monetize interest rate risk, credit risk, liquidity risk, and operations risk. We're talking about those individual risks. We can actually put numbers behind them and start to compare and contrast. Not to say strategic compliance and reputation aren't important. They very much are, but they become more qualitative factors as we look at the risks. Why did I walk through the whole explanation? Because we've actually staffed ourselves around those four monetized risks. We actually have some employees who are dedicated to measuring and monitoring interest rate risk. Some dedicated to credit risk, some dedicated to operations risk, and some dedicated to liquidity risk. And well, we've structured ourselves around those four years. And we have, about, we have about nine folks in the, in the department today who focus on those things. That also includes cybersecurity, I might add, that's part of the operations risk group as well. So that's how we've chosen to structure ourselves. And that's nice too, because any good sort of control function, we want the risk takers to be able to take risk. And then we want the risk reporters and evaluators to be a separate function. So this actually aligns the risk reporters and evaluators outside of the operational areas that are taking those risks, which is good. It creates, I think, a healthy dialogue between those two areas.
0: Yeah, that's a very good distinction. So thank you for sharing that with us about how there definitely is risk takers, and then you've got your risk reporting and your risk management and that piece being completely independent. And that sounds like that's how you're organized. And I can see how that would be, that's an ideal way to organize. And some credit unions don't have that luxury. A lot of people have to wear multiple hats, but it's nice when you are able to segregate those duties like that. That's great.
1: It it really is. And it's a critical part of that too, is making sure everyone understands this isn't an an, enterprise risk elimination program. (laughs) It's an enterprise risk management program, right? Because we create value. Every credit union creates value by taking risk. That is how you are able to pay higher rates on shares. Lower, have lower interest rates, have lower fees, have great service, you do, all those things happen because you take risk and you should be taking risk, you absolutely do. The, of course, the trick is you wanna make sure you're taking the right amounts of risk and the right types of risk they are consistent with your strategic plan. And again, we structured ourselves, hopefully, to really separate those two functions so people who are taking risk and should be taking risk and then you have other folks looking at it to look at the reasonableness and is it within the parameters you've set?
0: That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that explanation. So let's dive in a little bit further and there's some really strong areas you've covered is is there anything that you would say that the program is particularly strong at and can you walk us through a recent incident or activity or something that that demonstrates that strength
1: sure if i were thinking about what i think is unique about the aloya program what's i think worked well for us over the years We've actually adopted a lot of the processes we use for, believe it or not, our board processes, where we have a series of committees that evaluate these risks, and it bubbles its way up. A lot of financial institutions, in particular credit unions, will have, for example, the management finance committee or the management ALCO committee will get together, and then eventually that information will be summarized and presented to the ALCO. And there's a very sort of formalized process for that. We've adopted a similar process where we have a management enterprise risk committee, We have an operations risk committee and cyber solutions committee, and those committees actually get the most detailed level, if you will, information, and they evaluate that. They debate it. They talk about it, um, and then that sort of gets summarized up to the management enterprise risk committee that, again, goes through it again. Senior management team becomes aware of it, and then it gets summarized yet again and taken up to the board-level enterprise risk management committee that process does a couple of things. First of all, it really makes sure the risks are really well vetted as they move up. People really understand them, a lot of good communication. One of the other, I think, really important things about it and perhaps the most critical thing is it makes sure the most important risks find their way to the top of the pile, which is really important. You want the senior management team and the board, you want them looking at the forest, not at the trees. You really absolutely want them to be able to pay attention to what's most important and the biggest risks. And that process forces that to happen. So I think that's something we do a little bit different. It does take a bit of a resource commitment to do that and time commitment. You have to have the support of the organization to do it, but I think it produces really good value, not only in that aspect, but and you'll hear me say this several times through here, the value is the debate. There's no right answer in risk management. If you knew the answer to the question, the accountants would be booking an entry, right? If you knew, it wouldn't be a risk. Yeah. So there, there isn't a right answer. The debate on what the risk is and why it's bigger or smaller or more likely less likely to happen that debate is where the value is because the organization really begins to understand that risk better and better and once you understand it better then you can make decisions about okay yeah this is a risk we want to accept or nope this is a risk we want to get rid of want to transfer out or maybe you want to mitigate it it's hard to have those discussions unless you really understand it well
0: yeah that's a great point yeah having that debate and that discussion is really such an important part of risk management. It's really getting people together and talking about it and learning from each other. And it sounds like you've got a, that governance structure you described about the different committees. And I assume there's, so there's a committee for each of the four areas that you talked about. Is that right? Or? Uh, not
1: quite, a couple quite. of them roll up into one committee for okay. the, the credit and the credit interest rate, risk and liquidity roll up into one committee and then oh, yeah. the operations and cyber flow through separate areas and that's just because the number of items that they're handling doesn't justify a standalone
0: committee that would make sense and the other thing something else you mentioned earlier that I wanted to reiterate is cybersecurity such an important area these days so cybersecurity the risk management of cybersecurity is in your operations area so you own that as well yeah that's great i think that's important to pull that yeah, out yeah.
1: As everyone knows, you can't pay enough attention to cybersecurity these days, right? The bad guys get smarter, we get smarter. It's a never-ending, increasing issue, and it's a big deal. Ask anybody who's had to deal with a ransomware attack, and they'll tell you it's not the dollars that scare everyone; it's the terrible inconvenience and pressure it puts on the organization to resolve the issue. So yeah, I would encourage everybody, that's a place, if you're going to spend money to mitigate, you want the people and processes and systems to really try to help make sure you're in front of those issues. They're significant. and They may not be frequent, but when they happen, and fortunately that hasn't been an issue for us in the past, but boy, it's a big deal.
0: Right. Yeah, it is a big deal. Now, one other thing, something you and I've talked about in the past, because you and I have known each other for quite some time, is derivatives and hedging? Is there anything in that area that you feel is a strength?
1: Yeah. I should provide a specific example of where the risk management program worked really well, perhaps, as a a clear example of how this process works. So several years ago, maybe four or five years ago, we were talking about the risks that were um, in the interest rate risk area. We'd done some modeling and said, this is what could happen. And what was clear to us was, and at that time, I think interest rates were around 3% give or take. So we weren't in a bad spot. Things looked reasonable, historically normal. But the modeling said that if interest rates go up, okay, as we expected, never expected time, the balance sheet goes down value a little, pretty typical, but the income statement gets better, great. What if rates go down? And we started looking at that. And if rates go down, and now this is very obvious, but when we did this modeling, rates weren't down. It seemed like a very unusual thing, but if they did go down and stayed down, that got problematic pretty quickly. It hit the income statement pretty hard. So we talked about that and said, what could we do? And one of the things we can do is we could purchase interest rate floors. It was a transaction we could look to engage in to to fix that or address that risk. And we did. We got the ability to purchase interest rate floors. We did purchase them. And lo and behold, interest rates did go down, as everyone knows now, and stayed down for quite a while. And during that time, it produced, I think, for us $11 or $12 million in value because we had those on the books at a time when, again, a lot of places were struggling for net interest income. It really helped, helped us out. Yes, it cost some money, and that $11 million is in net, by the way. So it's the net of the contract per price. So it was a very good turn for us. So that's the value, and that's a real live example of where enterprise risk management processes great value. You talk about a risk, you understand it, you say, hey, here's what we can do about it. Do I want to do that mitigation strategy? Here's the cost. And sometimes you make that decision, and it may not work out, but in this case, it worked out really well for us.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like it did. I was going to ask about, was it a very large position? But I think obviously it was a pretty good gain. So it must've been a sizable position that you took. And that's a great example of how Providing those opportunities to talk about risks allows the discussion to happen and and the ideas to come forth and the mitigation to take place. And if you didn't have those opportunities, just think of how long it would delay that idea coming out and maybe it wouldn't come out at all. So I think that's a very good example. So,
1: Well, and we also talked at some length about the risk of the hedge. Uh, Derivatives tend to be a word that scare a lot of people based on history that isn't too old. Those particular transactions, you, you pay for the dollar value of them and that's their insurance policy. You pay for the dollar value and that's it. They don't they don't cost you more than that in any, any other circumstance, which again, that meant that the risk mitigation was limited to a very specific fixed amount. So we were comfortable with that transaction.
0: I hear that called an asymmetrical bet, right? There's just a limited downside, but pretty high upside. So <laughs> nice way to manage risk. So thanks for sharing that. So We've learned a lot about your program and there's a lot of great things going on there. So we know that building and operating an ERM program can be a pretty difficult endeavor. So what do you think some of the hardest things to deal with when building and running an ERM program and how have you dealt with that and addressed it? And I think this would be great for our listeners because our listeners can be, some of them are just starting out and some of them have plans for expanding. So again, it's a difficult endeavor. Are there some hard things you've had to overcome and how have you addressed those?
1: The thing folks always say about a lot of these programs, and it's absolutely true in this case as well, it works when you have buy-in from the top, right? When the senior management and the board think it's an important thing, you tend not only get the resources, but the attention to make it go. And we've been really fortunate. We've always had that and that makes a big difference. So you really do need to, the organization needs to be committed to doing it one of the biggest challenges always is resourcing right depends on how large your credit union is for some credit unions having half a dozen or a dozen people doing this might not be a stress strain for others it might be but it's okay you can scale the program to the available resources again the value is the debate how detailed the debate is a function of the resources you have um, to look at those things but even a a less deep debate if you will is more valuable than none at all and Mm -hmm. typically what at least what happened a lawyer i see often is the case you start small and you do it for a while, and if you're doing a good job of it, you tend to find that all of a sudden people think it's a good idea to add more resource there because they see the value creation. Um, so I, the, the trick is also when you're when you're building the program, you need to make it both relevant and under and valuable to the people you are talking to about it. So the senior management, the board, right? If they find the conversation to be relevant, valuable, interesting. You're going to continue to have conversations. If you don't meet those challenges in terms of what you're presenting and how you're presenting it, you are going to have a harder time getting the resources and the attention of those folks. So it's really important as you're designing and building these programs, you gauge the response of those to whom you're providing this information. Is it compelling? Is it interesting? Are you telling people stories that they were unaware of before that's helping them make better business decisions? Because again, it's not an enterprise risk elimination program. The, the objective is to help the organization manage the risks, not only that it wants to take, it must take. If you don't take those risks, you're not there to create value. So again, it's about understanding those stories, those circumstances, and being able to communicate. And again, if you do a good job of doing that, you'll get the support you're looking for. And it won't be the same for every organization. There's standard tools out there that most programs have, like a risk assessment is as a case in point. But this isn't like generally accepted accounting principles where debits are always on the left and credits are always on the right. It's a very, you get to build the program the way you want. So the good news is you can tailor it to the audience that you have.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like you had really good support from the beginning, but to maintain that or to even get more support and resources, you had to show value. And it sounds like you did that through the value of those conversations and you really listen to the feedback during those conversations and adjust it accordingly and just kept making sure there was value in those conversations. Is that a good way to summarize that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, you're providing information to the organization about the risks it has and maybe taking the future. And again, if you can capture that in a way that resonates with your audience, you'll have both their attention and their help. If you're, if you don't have those, it's a lot tougher sledding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned that An ERM program is not a check the box. It's not a, it's not a set methodology. And I would think your interest rate floors example fits into that because there's no checkbox that says, are you doing derivatives? (laughs) Right. So I think that's another good example of how you how you've operated and how ERM is not just check the box and how you're getting support and real world examples of how it's working. So thanks for sharing that.
1: Good
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Was there anything else about yourself, your, the ERM program or the credit union itself that you want to share that we didn't cover?
1: Uh, maybe it's repetitive, but I'll do it anyway because it's important debate. Okay. That, that's the important part. There's 152 different ways to do risk assessments, but what's important is when you present the risk assessment is there's debate about what the risk assessment says about again, individual risk. You certainly want the operational areas that are creating those risks to be engaged in that process, telling you why they're taking the risks they're taking, the value they're creating for taking the risk they are. We have a little saying around our shop called CUP, Mm C-U-P. We want to make sure the risks we take are consistent with our strategic plan, that we understand the risks that we take, and that we're getting paid in some fashion, directly or indirectly, for the risk you're taking. So you want to make sure that, again, it's it's okay to take a risk. You just want to make sure you're being adequately rewarded for the risk you're taking and that you understand that you can't be adequately paid if you don't understand the risk really well. So the debate thing is really important. Um, Make sure you use the tools with a lot of logical consistency. That's what people are going to be looking for. Because, again, there isn't a right answer here. But if your process, and again, that's what the COSO helps with as well, is very logical and consistent. People can follow it. Again, you tend to get a lot better responses there. Uh, Otherwise, you can find yourself nailing gel out of the wall. It can get pretty, like I said, pretty squishy pretty quick. So uh, those would probably be some of the, the big things I'd suggest people want to pay attention to as they're as they're looking at programs.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful. So let's review Cup again. So that's C U P was it consistency and then Consistent underst- with
1: the strategic plan. With the strategic plan. So th- there can be a great opportunity out there. I want to use in a couple of talks maybe somebody knows somebody who's who's is great with auto parts stores and maybe companies are a proposal, hey, let's give the auto parts to our business. Might be a great business, might be a wonderful business, I don't know. Yeah. But the problem for a credit union is generally they don't understand those businesses. They're not used to stocking mufflers and valuing and making sure there's no inventory shrinkage and all the things that go with it. You you typically wouldn't have people on your staff who would understand that business and it's not consistent with what most credit unions are doing, which is serving their members more directly with financial services. So what, it could, could be a great business. And you may, in fact, even have people who understand it. But again, it's not consistent with where you're going. The first one's consistent, then understand the risk you're taking and make sure you're getting paid for it.
0: Paid. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for elaborating on that and consistent with the strategic plan. I, I preach that so much myself. Alignment with the strategy is so important. And uh, there's so many risks that exist out there that really aren't relevant to the strategy. So it really has to be relevant to the strategy. So I like the C that you use in that cup acronym. That's, that's good.
1: Thanks. Strategy is about making choices about the things you are and aren't going to do as an organization, right? And that involves which risks you're going to take and you're not going to take to do that. So strategy and risk really are two sides of a coin and are absolutely stuck together. So you, in my opinion, you have to have those two things very much aligned. Great. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that.
0: All right. I've got one last question for you, John, and that's because a lot of our listeners probably are just starting out in their ERM program. So I was wondering if you, with all of your experience, have some advice for our listeners who are either starting on enterprise risk management or just any advice for our listeners around ERM.
1: Yeah, I guess it's your couple of thoughts. If you're just starting out, if you're maybe a smaller organization or just starting out either way, what I call less mature programs, for lack of a better term, start small. Don't try to do everything. Don't go pull down all the COSO books and read everything. Start small and have a couple ideas in mind what you'd like to achieve. You can have several of your senior managers just you know carve out a couple hours to meet and talk about this stuff. It doesn't have to be a big production. You can start small. You can learn. I also wouldn't be a big fan of when you're starting, going out and just buying a system. There's lots of good ones out there and I'm disparaging those systems. But I think you're better served by using things like Word and Excel to get started. And again, since it's going to be your unique system, work a little bit, see what works, see what you like, see what you don't, and then go look at systems. And they will help you get better at it. But I wouldn't start the system and work backwards because then you're going to be forced into doing it in a particular way that may or may not fit your organization. Again, you'll get to a point where as those conversations mature, and you have maybe more people engaged, we're having a systems really useful to keep track of it and will help you be more organized. But I'd start with the process that works for you and then maybe look at automating thereafter. So I'd say, again, okay to start small, okay to start without a system and be willing to grow from there. And again, if you don't have the resources to dedicate a lot of people to it, make it like some of other committees. I'm sure every credit has lots of committees. Make it one of their standing committees It does that work. For larger players, the the thing I've seen is probably the biggest challenge that large organizations run into, forest and trees, right? It's really easy if you're a really large organization to have a risk register with 350 items in it. And that's great you had that level of detail, but have you really done an effective job at carving out the five or seven or whatever it is that the board and senior management need to know about and getting those in front of those folks? And what's your process that, that builds that pyramid? That's why we have the structure we do. It's a very pyramidical on purpose, right? So you start with that level of detail and you window it down to what are the, again, we have what we call enterprise risks. What are the five to seven enterprise risks? The most important things we want to pay attention to. Those are some so great...
0: that would be my
1: advice for large organizations.
0: Yeah, those are great tips, John. Thanks for sharing. And I agree completely about starting manual and then deciding what it is that, where are your pain points and what you want to automate with the system. And then the last, another thing you mentioned is And I think this is typical when you have a system or when you start with a system is you're going to have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of risks in your register. And I've seen that when credit unions start out with a system, because it's just, it just gets filled so quick and that can be, that can set you back, I think. So I think those are some really good tips, John.
1: Yeah. A lot of credit unions have staff who've been around for quite a while. And they know what the risks are. It, it's inherent in what we've always done and we'll always continue to do. Again, we're in the risk-taking business. It's part of the mindset. This, The process that you go through is what allows you to put on paper, talk about it, debate it. And you obviously want to spend your time on the most important ones. And your folks already know what those are. <laughs> they, it's in their head. So again, do, going through a risk register exercise can be really useful in a lot of ways. But again, if you end up with a thousand ideas on paper, like I said, what are the six or seven or eight that are the most important that people pay attention to?
0: Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fun and informative. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to invite you back some at some point in time and we can talk about what's new with you. Sound good?
1: I'd love to come back and chat. That'd be great. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of ERM Perspectives, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. That's all for today's ERM Perspectives. If you enjoyed the show and heard something useful, please do your friends and colleagues a favor and share this podcast with them. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Please contact me if you'd like to be a guest on this show or if I can help you or someone you know. I'm David Seibert, and you can find me on LinkedIn or at my website, davidsibertconsulting.com.